So what we have observed this morning is the victorious work of God. There are many churches all around the world gathered together today, and there will be many similar services to what you have observed here this morning, with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people professing their faith in Jesus Christ and professing the fact that they have life because of God's good name. There might be thousands today publicly declaring that God has brought them from death to life. As we think about what we just observed in God's victorious work here, we can see a rich variety of how God has worked. And I want to just kind of recap for you a little bit of some categories of the way the Lord worked. In our younger people that you saw proclaiming their faith in Christ, we can see the effectiveness of families introducing their children to the good news of Jesus Christ. We can see the effectiveness at that de declaring that He, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. You see that they've understood that message and have publicly identified themselves with Jesus Christ as a result of having experienced redemption. A couple of our baptisms represent um, a teenager who was invited to a Bible study or to church. So we're seeing the effectiveness of a friend or a co-worker inviting a teenager to a Bible study or a church service. A couple of our ladies had mentioned that in their testimonies. A few of our baptisms represent the effectiveness of co-workers of adults inviting their co-workers to have a Bible study or to come to church with them. These are just the, the avenues through which God did His work. God uses us, He uses people to point them, to point others to Christ. And so we see that in families, we see it in the lives of some teenagers that were invited out, into the lives of some adults that were invited out. And then there was another couple of our baptisms this morning that represent the effectiveness of how God changed a husband and a son so significantly that a wife and a mother came to realize how great God is and that He offered salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we observe these things and think through this, we rejoice together in God's victorious work. For a few moments this morning, we're going to look at some Scripture passages that will try to give us a little picture of the significance of what we've observed. First of all, we're in Matthew chapter 28. I want to draw your attention to verses 18 down through 20. So Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where God's Word says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So from a very technical standpoint, we're not going to talk a lot about technicalities, but from a very technical standpoint, this passage has only one command, and that is to make disciples. To make disciples. That's what this passage is calling for, is discipleship. 
Now, you and I, as we hear that call to make disciples, have to understand this. We can't make that happen. I can't make someone believe the gospel. I can't make them know that God is real, that Jesus cares, that Jesus is real, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. I can't make that happen. I just tell people. And only the Lord can make that happen. We can't ensure that we'll make disciples, but we can go with Jesus' power in verse 18. Remember in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Go with my power. Go with my authority. Not only that, we go with Jesus' presence. Look at verse 20. This is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, to, to the end of the world. To wherever you go, whenever you go, you're going with my power, you're going with my presence, and you're going with my gospel. So we go. We go with the gospel. We follow his instructions by bringing the gospel to others, by baptizing those who trust Christ, and by teaching them what Jesus taught. The baptism that you observed this morning is part of this process of making disciples with the power and presence and proclamation of Jesus Christ as the only one sufficient to save a sinner like me. As the only one sufficient to save a sinner like you. Every testimony is slightly different. Every person's story is slightly different. There's one thing, one person who remains constant. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived for you, who sacrificed Himself for you, who died for you, who was buried for you, who was raised for your justification. You heard briefly in their testimonies how God used the going with the Gospel. You've observed their public proclamation that God saved them and gave them new life. You heard statements like this along the way, and I want to reiterate because it's very important for us. The actual ceremony of baptism does not wash away sin. It does not provide life. It simply proclaims that God through Jesus Christ has already taken away their sin and has already imparted to each of these, my brothers and sisters, eternal life. It's an amazing reality. The ceremony of baptism is symbolic of what God has already done. It can be captured with this expression. It's a simple expression. Baptism is the outward demonstration of an inward reality. Baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. We're going to talk in just a couple of moments about two other passages of Scripture. And again, the the time that I'm speaking up here will be brief. But I want you to recall, all nine of these people walked down into the water with me. I made them get on my right-hand side because I don't think I can lift them out with my left hand. The water is very low in this tank. I'm used to the water being up to like here. It makes everyone nice and floaty. Well, in this one, there, it's like way down. So like I, I, have to, I have to man up and get them out of the water. So I made them go to my right-hand side. But you see them, they go under the water. And I don't leave them there, right? You saw them come right back. <laughs> we brought them back out of the water. 
There's a picture here. There's a picture of our union, of our being joined together into the person of Jesus Christ, into his death, into his burial, and into his resurrection. When a person comes to recognize that they are a sinner and that Jesus Christ, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, has offered to them eternal life, when they trust in Christ to save them, God unites them together forever with Jesus Christ. They're united, joined together in his life. I want you to think about the significance of that. Joined together in every righteous deed that Jesus performed, in every righteous word he spoke, in every adherence to the Father's will, in every adherence to the written word of God, every one of those things that Jesus performed in reality, God has joined us to. He's united us to that obedience and that righteousness, that record of perfection. He's joined us to this. And it can never be taken away. Never. This means in being united together in Christ's life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, this means that all of us who have had that experience of trusting Christ and thus been united to Christ, that means all of our sins are forgiven. That means Jesus' righteousness is considered our righteousness. That Jesus' death is considered our death. And that Jesus' resurrection has not only made us alive spiritually forevermore, but guarantees our future resurrection. This is what God has done for us through Christ. Let's take a look at uh, one record of that beautiful truth in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, please. In verses 4 and 5, very straightforward, and Paul writes this, We, speaking of all believers, not some special sect of believers, everyone that has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we, verse 4, were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now we've studied this back many months ago in our study of Romans, and we can't get into all of the details, but just get the the essence. Everyone that has professed and come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, died with Christ, has been raised to newness of life through Christ, and has the guarantee of a resurrection in Christ at the last day. This is what gives us confidence when a believer in Jesus Christ dies. We don't sorrow as others who have no hope. We sorrow, but we don't sorrow without hope. We sorrow with hope. Our grief has hope attached because we know our loved one that trusted Christ is experiencing the glory and joy and peace of God instantly 
You're not waiting someday to hopefully make it. Instantly, they're in the presence of the Lord. It's a beautiful reality. Look at Colossians chapter 3, our last passage of Scripture this morning. This captures the essence of what we're trying to get at very nicely. We are so intimately tied to our Savior that His life is considered to be our life. Paul is writing to a group of believers. They've already trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's warned them about not trying to follow uh, ritual practices and fleshly means to have a good standing with God. He lets them know that standing is already set in Christ. You're complete in Him. In chapter 3, he tells us to lift our attention off of the horizontal and put it on the vertical. But he does it in a very unique way by talking about how we have been united together in Christ. Listen to these words in verses 1 through 4 of Colossians 3. God's word says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds or your affections on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? What's the reason? Verse 3. For you have... What does he say? Died. Let me ask you a question. The people that Paul wrote this to, were they physically dead? If they were, why would he write them a letter? Did you know that dead people don't read your letters? They can't. So Paul is writing to people that are very much physically alive and telling them that they have died. What's the reason they have died? They died in Christ. Christ's death is their death. They've been united intimately to it. He goes on. He says, your life, in verse 3, not only are you united in His death, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, where did He tell us in verse 1 that Jesus is? He's above. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. And He just tells us in verse 3 that where His life is, that's where your life is invested. So here I am, very much alive physically, And the Bible here is telling me that I am currently present in God's presence in heaven because I am intimately tied to Jesus Christ. I am in Him, and in John chapter 14, He is in me. I'm in Him, and He's in me. Where He is, I am, and where I am, He is. This is what baptism is trying to tell us No one went into this tank unsaved and came out saved. They entered into the tank. They had already received from God forgiveness of their sin. They had already been united to Jesus Christ eternally. They had already received from Him eternal life. They already had the the record of Jesus' righteousness on their account, but they publicly proclaimed to all of us and everyone watching on YouTube and Sermon Audio and Facebook, that they died with Christ and were raised with Christ. They wanted to let you know that their life is forever inextricably linked to Jesus. You know what that means? 
That means the only way for you not to make it to heaven is if God kicks Jesus out. Jesus is God. His record is perfect. You want to know how you can spend eternity with God? You want to know how you'll never experience the uh, suffering for your sin and the payment of your sin and the condemnation for your sin? Get connected to Jesus. <laughs> how, do you, how does one get connected? Believe. Believe. He tells us that we've died in Christ and we've been made alive in Christ. Now verse 4, he takes it and basically states the same thing in a different way with an expectation. He says in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Right now you are spiritually in Him. You're there in spirit. One day you'll be there in reality, in presence. You'll be appearing there. Body, soul, mind, and, and strength. Everything you are will be in the presence of God because of Christ. But don't miss the statement. When He comes, He is your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him. Baptism gives us a picture of these realities. It just introduces us to these truths. Let me ask you, are you certain? Are you certain that Jesus' righteous record has been credited to you? Are you certain that that life of righteousness has been given to you and is now your righteousness? Are you certain that your sins and their consequences are buried in a grave? You know, you don't need water baptism for any of that. You simply need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is truth. If you'd like confidence in your eternity, the Bible over and over tells you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You want confidence? Call upon the name of the Lord. My friends, if you have questions about what God has offered to you, the salvation He's offered through Jesus Christ. I encourage you, please, after the service is over, come up to the front. When we're all done, people will be available to show you from the Bible how you can know that the promises that God offers in salvation can be yours. Let's pray together. Father, You are so good. We rejoice in Your faithful hand your loving provision of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that we are saved because of Your work through the Gospel that is demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for any among us that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they don't have this same confidence that they'll never be taken out of Your presence. We pray that even, even this morning that they would recognize the provision that You've offered to them in Your Son, that You might provide for them life forever, forgiveness forever, confidence now and forever because of the work of Jesus Christ. We pray You do this work for Your glory and their good. In Jesus' name.
Amen.